Thank you. Well, it is a joy to be here. I appreciate the opportunity, and I've certainly enjoyed getting to know your pastor and uh, his wife, and, and we have many of the same acquaintances, and praise the Lord uh, for uh, what he has accomplished here. God has used him and this great church, and praise the Lord for you. But I do appreciate the opportunity to be here. I'm glad one day that the old ship of Zion came sailing by my way and took me on board. And I trust today you are as well. <clears throat> I was drifting away on life's pitiless sea and the angry waves threatened my ruin to be. My side, there I dimly described a stately old vessel, and loudly I cried, Ship ahoy, ship of Zion the sailing along all aboard her seemed joyous I heard their sweet song and the captain's kind ear ever ready to hear caught my wail of distress as I cried out in delay for the old ship of Zion 
shout on your way. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Shout and sing on your way. he does for real you know the most miserable experience I believe anyone ever experiences is to not know for sure that they are saved my wife struggled with that for so many years she would often come to me and this was after I was pastoring for several years and she would often say to me now I did this now I said that. Now, am I saved? And all I could do is take her to the Word of God and show her what Jesus said that He did for her. She struggled with that for some time. We had three missionaries one year that came consecutively and each of them had their wives give testimony. Now, it never happened before this time, nor since. Those three missionaries had their wives give a testimony, and it was the same. Each of those missionaries, after they had been in the ministry, pastoring for some time, their wives struggling with their salvation and doubting it, each of them got it settled. You see, there's no way you can know for sure that you're saved apart from the Word of God. It is what He said, He did, not what you said, you did. It's based on His blessed promise. And one Sunday night, my wife came forward. She knelt there at the altar, and she said these words to me. As one of the missionaries had shared, wives had shared, I'm not going to go to hell for you. And again, she was struggling with the fact it was an embarrassment that the pastor's wife didn't have it settled, that she was saved. She said, I am trusting what he said he did. And she got that settled, and that's been over 30 years ago. She has that settled, and she's not struggled with it since. I'm glad I've got a salvation that's real, and based on what he said he did. But it's remember how I'd hide it day by day for 
for I did not know for certain that my sins were washed away. When the Spirit tried to tell me I would not the truth receive, I endeavored to be happy and to make myself believe. But it's real, it's real, oh, I know it's real. Praise God, the doubts are settled, for I know, I know it's real. When the truth came close and searching, all my joy would disappear for I did not have the witness of the spirit bright and clear if at times the coming judgment would appear before my mind oh it made me so uneasy for God's smile I could not find but at last I tired of living such a life of fear and doubt For I wanted God to give me something I would know about So the truth would make me happy and the light would clearly shine And the Spirit give assurance that I'm His and He is mine. But it's real, it's real. Oh, I know it's real. Praise God, the doubts are settled. For I know Pray to God in earnest and not caring what folks said. I was hungry for salvation, my poor soul, it must be fed. Then at last by faith I touched him, and like sparks from Smith and Still, just so quick salvation reached me. trust you know that. If you don't, get it settled today. Amen. No need to doubt what he has done. Amen. Forever, 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 it is settled. Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to the book of Job. Do you know what you're about to do right now when you open up the Word of God? 
you're doing exactly what Moses did when he stood upon the mount and he gazed into heaven, he gazed into eternity. You can see back and forward. You can see both directions. You're stepping into eternity when you open up the Word of God. You see, how did Moses get the first five books of the Bible? Do you realize when Moses stepped into the presence of God, he stepped into eternity, he witnessed creation. He saw it happen. That's how he described it. That's when you read Genesis chapter 1, and you're amazed. How did Moses get all of that so vividly? Because he saw it. He saw the end from the beginning. John saw the same thing, by the way. Isaiah, everyone, every account that we have, when they stepped into the presence of God, they saw from the end from the beginning. You step into infinity and beyond when you step into and open up the Word of God. When you open up the book of Job, do you realize that's exactly what is happening there? When we look in the Word of God and we see the book of Job, it's not just this story to help you feel better about your circumstances and maybe have a little sympathy to think, well, I don't have it as bad as Job did. That's not the purpose of the book of Job. The purpose of the book of Job is to pull back the veil and allow you and I to see what is really going on. That is going on not just at the time of Job, that is going on now. Right now. I did a study in a series, and what I, Lord willing, if you'll pray for me in about 30 minutes, I'm going to give you an entire series. So I don't know if the outline will come out very good, but I want to give, share with you what some things that God has taught me from the book of Job. I studied it intently, and I felt, Lord, I believe I've got it. I understand the book of Job, and... Um, I realize this spiritual warfare that is going on. And uh, I thought I had it. But I'm going to tell you, there is nothing that will help you get a clear understanding of a truth from the Word of God than not only studying it, but then when the Lord says, now, if you're really going to understand it, you must experience it. And I tell you, my wife and I, we've had the opportunity, and I praise the Lord for His goodness to us, that He allows us sometimes to enter into, as Paul called it, the fellowship of His suffering. And there is nothing that will help you appreciate the Lord any more than to enter in fellowship with Him and sometimes experience what he experienced. In fact, Jesus said, except you take up the cross and follow me, he said, you can't be my disciple. You're not going to be a good student without the experience of the cross. And I'll tell you, Job thought he understood God until God allowed this experience and showed him and revealed to Job the reality 
of what's going on beyond and behind the scenes in the spirit, spiritual realm. I want you to notice in verse 1, Job 1, verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Now, we often say no one is perfect. But that's not what the Bible says. Psalm 37, verse 37 says, Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. Jesus said in John chapter 17 and verse 48, the command there is given, Be ye perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Do you realize you and I, we are commanded to be perfect? If that is an impossibility, then why would God command us to be perfect? Now we understand that in the biblical sense, this word does not mean without flaws. Because the book of Job, God allowed Job to become raw, unveiled, and became, uh, his flaws became very apparent not only to himself, in which Job would say of himself, I abhor myself. But his imperfections became magnified in the eyes of his, even his closest and dearest friends. Sometimes we think little of the friends of Job. But I'll tell you, they were friends. Because for days they wept with him. They wept with Job. They stayed with him by his side. And I do believe the sincere desire of his closest and dearest friends were to be able to help Job from his misery. But the problem, what they did not realize, is even as Job did not realize, they could not see the scene behind the scene. And it is not until this experience and God brings Job to the end of himself that God is revealed in the greatness and all uh, omnipotence of God and His omniscience. And, and Job begins to realize his dependence upon his Creator. But nevertheless, as God is looking upon Job, He calls him a perfect man. That word perfect means whole, intact, undivided. Wholesome. And I'm going to tell you, there is an enemy that we have, and when we look into the book of Job, we realize that Job had an enemy. And when uh, this scene and the curtains are pulled back, we see that enemy that is revealed as well. And that is the devil. 
And his desire is to divide, to separate, to devour, and to destroy. He is described in chapter 2 and verse 1 and following as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And God says, Satan, you have moved me to devour him or to swallow him down whole. And as God asked Satan what his intent was and what he was doing, he said, I'm walking to and fro and up and down. He's a roaring lion. He's walking about. He's seeking whom he may devour. That's who Satan is. And so we see here, first of all, notice the scene that is revealed here. We see the scene as, as it is described in Verse number 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. The scene that is unveiled here is the scene of heaven. It is the holy of holies. It is the throne of the kingdom of God. It is where all causes must be examined. And all petitions must be considered. It is the throne of God. This is the scene that the book of Job unveils. It is the scene that is there right now. It is, it is the same scene as you and I are sitting here. There in heaven, there is the accuser of the brethren. Day and night, before God making his request, making his petitions known before God. God is considering the request, the petitions of Satan. Now notice in this scene, we see the sovereign. He is Lord of all. There he is sitting upon his throne. And there all of his subjects those who are accountable to Him, they come to make their petitions known. Now, we know as James says in James 1.17, every good gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I want to say this morning in spite of what maybe Satan has made his accusations against God as he did there to Job. God can only give good gifts. He is incapable of evil. He goes on to say there that every man, it says, for God... Uh, in James 1, verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Here is this sovereign. And he can only do good. 
Yet when we see the accusations that the devil made in chapter 1, the servant came and said, the fire of God is fallen. No, it, it wasn't the fire of God. It was Satan. In chapter 2, we see there when God had delivered Job into the hand, the very hand of Satan. Job's wife says to Job, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? It's a word similar to the word perfect. She could have said, Do you still remain perfect? The word integrity means wholeness. Are you still trying to hold it all together, Job? Why don't you curse God and die? She did not say, why don't you curse the devil? I'm going to tell you many times we become bitter against the wrong person. I have never heard anyone curse the devil for their woes and their troubles. The book of Job helps us to understand it is not God. God is not our enemy. He is only capable of doing good, and God is a good God this morning. And we see here this sovereign scene. Here's the Lord God sitting upon the throne. God, He's the, he's the owner. He's the maker of all creation. He's both Lord and He is God. He's God and He is Lord. And when we find in Genesis chapter 1... All the way through the book of uh, our Genesis chapter 1, we see that uh, God is uh, described as the Creator. He's mentioned in almost every verse. In the first 34 verses of the Word of God, God is named 35 times. Now why is it? It is because you and I still struggle with who He is. And He has to reveal Himself and remind us, He is God. He owns it all. All belongs to Him. He is sovereign, but not only is He, not only is he God of all, He owns all, has made all, but He is Lord. He's the Master. Not only the Maker, He's the Master. In chapter 2 and verse number 4, we begin, we begin to see of Genesis... He introduces Himself not only as God, but He is Lord God. And from that point forward, He is named Lord God, which means He has the right to tell us what to do. He's the Lord of all. And He is called the, the Lord God all the way till you get to chapter 3. And there in chapter 3 and verse 1, the subtle servant... Uh, serpent, he says, yea, hath God said, he leaves out Lord, the temptation that he has to Eve, it, you don't, uh, uh, he may be your God, but you don't, he can't, he, he doesn't have to be your Lord, you can be your own Lord, you can do as you please. So the temptation often to you and I is to leave him as a Lord out, but he is both Lord and God. He's maker and he's master. And here he is in his sovereign state and all subjects come before him. We find in chapter 6 there 
we find the sons of God come before him. If you read in the context of the passage of Scripture, Job is making sacrifice for his family. In other words, Job is concerned about his home. He's concerned about his children. <clears throat> He's concerned about his, uh, that they are going to curse God. He's, uh, he's afraid the devil's going to get his children. And Job is praying. He comes before God. But there's an adversary. There's an accuser that comes with him. And it is Satan that appears as the sons of God making their petitions before God. The old devil. Satan comes as well. Have, have you ever wondered why it is so difficult to pray? Because we have a, an adversary. We have an accuser. But listen, he also is subject to the sovereign. He is no free agent. Satan can do nothing but what he asks of God. Do you realize you and I have the same blessed privilege? Now look at this scene again. We think of Satan as he comes before God to make his request for Job. As Job is praying, Satan is praying. We read, and I, I wish I had the time to deal with it, but we don't. In 1 Kings chapter 22, this scene is revealed again. Micaiah, he is before Ahab and Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat has made an affinity with that wicked king, and he did it. He made that grand decision without asking God's will. We know what happened to Jehoshaphat. He got in trouble. Satan was out to destroy Jehoshaphat. Almost did until Jehoshaphat... Jehoshaphat cried out. Ahab was killed. Jehoshaphat was almost, and it was prayer that delivered him. I know Satan already had Ahab. He really wanted Jehoshaphat. He wanted to destroy him, this godly king. And I'll tell you, the devil, he's got a lot. We, we get our attention on the, the boy in this political scene that we're living in today. And I tell you, the, you watch the news, you, if you're not careful, you say, boy, the devil's got them. I don't believe the devil is after them as much as he af is after you and I. The intent, he wants to destroy us, and that's one reason you and I better not let up praying. But we find in this scene, in 1 Kings chapter 22, Micaiah said, I saw the host of heaven... He said, I, I saw before the Lord. It's very interesting how he described it here. He said, let me find my spot here and I'll read it to you word for word. 1 Kings twenty two nineteen. And he said, hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. So here is God. And here's the host of heaven. 
at God's right hand and at His left. There's two hosts, by the way, and I don't have time to develop all this, but there are two hosts of heaven. There is a host at the right hand of God. There is a host at the left hand of God. And I'm going to tell you, Satan always comes to the left hand of God. And all of his hosts. Angels, the Bible says that the angels are the host of heaven. They're called ministering spirits that come before the Lord. Micaiah said, I saw the host of heaven at the right and at the left, and he said, there were these angels, these spirits that said, how are we going to... Uh, they were making proposals. They were making requests before God. God said to the one spirit, says, all right, what are you going to do? He said, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. God said, go. You get your request. And he did that. Jehoshaphat followed along with Ahab. And I'm going to tell you, he was nearly destroyed. But those spirits, they're at the left hand of God. Now, at the right hand of God, we know Jesus, the captain of the host. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And what's he doing there? He's pleading our case. Why? Because we have an adversary. The adversary is the devil. He's, the, he's a prosecutor. He is pleading his case. The left hand of God. And by the way, you and I sometimes are so confused at which is right, what's right, and what's left. We often, sometimes Satan can confuse us to thinking what spirit is the Holy Spirit and what spirit is of the devil. Let me illustrate. In the book of Judges, every man did that which was right in his eyes. When Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, what did He do? He sat down at the right hand of the Father. What's wrong with what I just did? It looks right to you, doesn't it? But it's not right to God, is it? I'm sitting at the left hand. If this betrays God, I'm at His left. But it looks right to you and I, doesn't it? Where you're sitting, it looks right. And I'll tell you, devil is an angel of light in all time. I just know I'm right. Well, God has led me to do this or that or the other as Jehoshaphat thought he was going to do all right, but he was headed right into trouble. Now, give you another passage. Zechariah chapter 3, Joshua the high priest. He is standing before God, making incense. Again, symbol of prayer. He's making his prayers for Israel, but he's with defiled garments. He, he's not clean. He's not right. And it says that Satan was at his right hand. So here's Joshua. Here's Joshua coming before the Lord. At his right hand, there's the old devil to resist him, that accuser of the brethren, which is where? At the left hand of God. Now listen, 
There's a host of heaven. Two hosts at the right hand and at the left hand. All the, the devil's host. How many does he have? Think with me. I'm going to tell you. You got to think a minute. How many angels, those evil spirits, those fallen creatures does Satan have? One third. Which means what? There's two thirds on our side. Do you realize greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? Do you realize the power that you and I have to invoke that sovereign Lord, His angels? His angels do behold, their angels do behold the face of their Father as the Word of God says the angels are ministering spirit sent to minister to the heirs of salvation. Those angels, they are there waiting. They're at the right hand of the Father, but they're not dispatched until you and I do what? Till we pray. Satan is over there making his petition, and he's got one-third, and you and I are not capable of handling one of those angels of servants and those that do the devil's bidding, none of us are capable. But I'm going to tell you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But we have not because we ask not. And so here's Job. Notice here, we've seen this scene. We see the sovereign. We see the subjects. All are accountable and by the way, let me tell you something. The devil, he has no power. Do you realize Jesus said all power is given to me in heaven and in earth? Satan has none. And he owns nothing. God gave this whole world to Adam, to the man that he had made, created. God gave it to you and I. And the only way Satan has anything and has any power, you and I must give it to him. We empower the devil. He has no power over the believer, over the child of God, because God has given us all power. He's given us the dominion and the domain, and Satan has the right to none of it. But you and I have not because we ask not, or we ask amiss. Now what is it? Let's look quickly and bring us to a close. Let's look at the supplications there. Those petitions that are being made. Job, this perfect man, he has the perfect family. It seems to indicate that. He has seven daughters, number of perfection, and three sons, the number for unity or oneness. It's symbolic, it seems. Everyone would say of Job, oh, he's got the perfect family, but the devil was after his family. He wanted his family. He made a request, and in chapter 1, we find that Satan is before God, and he is petitioning for all that Job had. Everything Job had is mentioned is given to us in chapter 1, and in Job chapter 1, on that day, when the devil came before the Lord, he was asking for everything Job had. I'm going to tell you something. 
He was after his family. He was after his finances. He was after uh, everything Job had. He's doing the same thing for you this morning. He wants your family. He wants to divide your home, separate your home. He's petitioning God for that today. By the way, He wants your finances. And do you know He gets most Christians' finances where they can't give to God, they can't serve God with it. Why does the devil want what we got so you can't serve God with it? Job, it is very apparent that he had served God with everything that he had. And Job said, I don't want, our devil said, I don't want Job doing anything with that. I want it. And he took everything. I'm going to tell you, the old devil will get you in debt over things until you can't give to missions. You can't, he'll get you to where you won't even tithe. Why? Because the devil don't want you to serve God with what you've got. And he doesn't want you to serve God with your family. He, if he can, he'll, may, he'll take your family. Job had the perfect family. I wish I had time to develop that. When God made a likeness to Himself, He made the family. Male and female created He them, and God said, multiply, replenish the earth. That's the family. The father like God the Father, the mother like the Spirit of God, and the child like the Son of God. And that's the family. That's the likeness God created. And yes, the mother has a Holy Spirit image. The Holy Spirit image in the Bible is that of a mother. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Don't have time to deal with all of that, but I tell you, Satan wanted to destroy his family. And don't you see the attack? He took his children. And then he divided he and his wife till they were not on speaking terms. And they were, there was anger towards them. And I'll tell you, Satan want, wants everything you've got. Chapter 1, chapter 2, Job did not curse God. He worshiped God, but in chapter 2, Satan comes again. Now, this time, he asks God for what he, not only what he had, but now who he was. He asked for the very person of Job. Who was Job? Who was this perfect man? He was spirit, soul, and body. That's how God made us whole. And you, I used to think that Satan was attacking the body of Job. Oh no, that's only one third of his being. Satan was after not just his body, but his spirit and his soul. All three are mentioned throughout the book of Job, not just his physical. His physical suffering, yes. Skin, flesh, and bone. And I, and I believe Satan, he, he's the same today. He, he wants to destroy your body. That's why if you're not care, you, you've got a responsibility. God gave you your body, and you're to take care of it. You don't have the right to abuse your body with addictions or with habits or with immorality or with anything else. You've got the responsibility of that body because it houses the spirit and the soul. You're not going to go any farther for God than what your body allows you. And if Satan can destroy your body, you're not going to get far over God. But that spirit, I believe that's where he attacks most of us the most of the time. You're not just a body. You are as much spirit as you are body. Some people, they maintain the body, but my, they got a bad spirit. They have allowed, as Ephesians chapter 4, give place to the devil. Instead of, and they have grieved the Holy Spirit. There's the two contrasting spirits. 
And so Satan wanted to destroy the spirit of Job. And the soul, that is the very life of Job. And that life has purpose, and God has saved you for a purpose to serve Him with it. And if God, if Satan can, to where you, you live your life, as, as the Lord said, you've traded it for the world, and, and instead of, uh, of yielding it to the Lord, then you've wasted your life, ministry, the opportunities to invest in eternity in the souls of men, women, boys, and girls. That's your life. But if Satan can, he'll destroy it. So here's Job. He's going through this. How does he get the victory? I'll tell you, Job did exactly what I've done this past year. Man, all the bad things that's happened to my wife and I this year. Let me tell you, I, I, I had the same response that Job did. There was all these t attacks against Job. And Job said, it's not right. I am right. And he defended himself and he talked and he talked and he talked and, and he said, you're not right. I'm right. I know I'm right. And as long as he just kept, and he kept trying to fix it and trying to fix it and trying for 30 chapters... For 30 chapters we read of Job saying, ah, uh, this is the way it is, and, and oh, if God would just hear me, listen to me. I thought, uh, Brother Jeremy, when you were talking about that illustration, that little George you were talking about, and, and the mama said, you're not listening to me, and, and little George said, you're not listening to me. That scene plays out in our life over and over again. It's what's happening to Job. Job is saying, and you can read it, the very words, Job is saying, God, you're not listening to me. But the truth of the matter is, God was allowing Job to come to the end of himself. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright for the end. The end of that man. Job had to come to the end of himself for there to become peace. For 31 chapters, we read of all Job's self-righteousness and his defense. It was 4 o'clock in the morning. I'd been wrestling with this for months, and I tell you, I, might, I couldn't sleep. My health was just... My wife and I had wept so many tears. 4 o'clock in the morning. I couldn't sleep, and this phrase came to my mind... The words of Job are ended. And I couldn't get that thought off of my mind. The words of Job are ended. I got, crawled out of bed to open up the Word of God, and I came to that passage when Job quit talking, when he got still, when he got quiet, God began to speak. God, God was silent as long as Job was complaining. And I'm going to tell you, you need God to fix something. Satan may seem like he's got the upper hand, but I'm going to tell you when the tables are turned, it's what the Word of God teaches us. Be still and know that I am God. We like that passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall uh, run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
But what we don't realize is the key to the renewal of strength is in the next verse, the very next verse in chapter 41, verse 1, Keep silence before me, O islands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near and then let them speak. Let us come together to judgment. You know what Job had to do? Come to the end of himself. Get quiet. Quit trying to fix it. And get still. And when that happened, God sent a man of God to begin to speak to him. Don't miss tonight. Listen, church. There is not a subject your pastor could be speaking on more important than the family. Do you realize Satan was after the family of Job? And God sent him Elihu, which means a man of God. He began to speak, began to preach to Job. And God began to speak to his heart. And then the Lord himself began to speak to Job. And you know what Job said? I spoke that which I knew not. He said, my thoughts. He says, more wonderful than my thoughts. He said, I'm going to lay my hand upon my mouth and I'll say no more. And then God spoke to him. And then you know what God did? God says, now, Job, let, now, now, Job, I want you to ask some things from me. And he says, I want you to take the sacrifices and I want you to pray for your friends. And you know what it says? And when Job prayed for his friends... The Lord turned the captivity of Job. And what did God do? God gave him his family back. Seven daughters and three sons. He let all of his brothers and sisters come back. He, he, he restored his relationship with him and his wife. And all of his finances came back. You know why? He outprayed the devil. It's sad, but the devil gets more of what he asked than what we do most times. We have not because we ask not. God is a good God. He can only do good. And He wants to do good. And if you and I will get still, we'll get quiet, we'll get silent, and we'll begin to listen to Him, listen to God speak, then we can get close to God. We can come near and then make our request. And then God says, and let us come to judgment. Let's get together, you and I. And I'm going to tell you what happened at that juncture was twice as great as before. And I tell you, when you and I get hold of God, far more and greater things can happen in our life. Let's let God bow our heads, if you would. Heavenly Father, I have no idea what anyone may be going through in this congregation, but I know you're a great God, and I know you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I know you're able. Lord, I know the devil would like to divide every family represented in this church. He would like to divide this church. He would, he would like to take out the pastor. He, 
He would like to take out the assistant. He, he would like to take out the deacons and the Sunday school teachers. He would like to separate husbands and wives. And he'd like to make rebels unlike the Son of God out of every child. Oh God, help us to learn how to pray and resist the devil that he may flee and to realize we're more than conquerors through Him that loved us and gave Himself for us. Now, Lord, if there's somebody here that's lost, help them to realize they're already on the devil's side. But, oh, Lord, help them to get on the side of the captain of the Lord of hosts, the captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus. Lord, have your way. Bless this church, every individual here, every family. Lord, do a work. Bind Satan. You've, you've promised if we would bind on earth, you would bind in heaven. And if we would loose on earth, you'd loose in heaven. But, Lord, we have not because we ask not. We ask amiss. Help us, Lord, to see the scene and the sovereign, and become subject, and make our supplications. And, oh God, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.